Okay, this morning we're going to talk about church leadership. And what I'll do is I'll try to match the order of the outline in your notebook as best I can. And we, like I said, we do have a lot of co uh, to cover. Um, if you have an urgent clarification, feel free to. But if it's not, hold your questions until the end. And hopefully we don't run out of time. Um, now, church polity or church government is not the most important issue in the church. It's not. But that doesn't mean it's unimportant. And there's a, a number of critical issues at play here, like who can be a leader in the church? What do they actually do? And are they accountable to anyone? Um, we're, leaders in the church are not the final authority. They, are, they still give an account. So uh, Scripture gives us a basic framework of church government but it doesn't speak to every question we might have. Good morning. I mean, on some things concerning church government, Scripture is clear. But in others, it's less clear. Like, uh, you know, well, no, there's too many to mention, even just one. But what that means is there's a necessary humility and flexibility we'll all need to have with one another when approaching this topic. Um, one thing is clear, though, is that if a church ignores the parameters for church leadership that Scripture does speak to, there will be negative consequences. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are some in this class who have witnessed negative consequences in a church that did not follow a biblical pattern of leadership. And it's, it's just an all-too-common experience, sadly. And uh, in a Class this size, there's probably at least one who has had a negative experience with church. Um, what about those who lead the church? Like I said a while ago, they are accountable and they are to answer to God for how they've led. Let me read Hebrews thirteen seventeen. It's it's very sobering. I get you know kind of it's very sobering for me. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's sobering to me because God does not turn a blind eye to how leaders lead in the church. There will be an assessment because there's so much at stake. So when church leaders fail to properly shepherd and teach and equip the congregation or when they wield their authority in ungodly ways, there's often a trail of human wreckage. And, you know, you see it with some of the televangelist scandals and all that through the years that drags the name of Christ through the mud. So there's, there's all kinds of things. So, so we need to give our attention to this because it matters to God. Now, a brief commentary on authority. Um, if you drive long enough, um, you, you'll see a bumper sticker that says question authority. You ever seen that? I don't think that's an invitation to, <laughs> for people or to inquire people of their, in their field of expertise, you know? But rather to ask the question, who do you think you are to tell me what to do? That's more the message I get from that bumper sticker rather than ask an expert. That's, that's not, it's, it's, it's different. So that kind of attitude to me reflects a, a, a view of authority that is prevalent in contemporary culture. That, that, that is, it's a view that promotes open defiance of authority at various levels. 
Wouldn't you agree? Whether we're talking about parental authority, governmental authority, the authority of teachers and bosses, ecclesiastical authority, and the whole thing, etc. But what does God say about authority? What does God's word say about authority? It gives us a view of authority that is 180 degrees from what contemporary culture promotes. God calls Christ's followers to be in submission to various types of authority. Just consider the this epistle to the Romans. Paul wrote, you know, obey your authorities. And he's not saying only if they're godly. No. He's saying obey your authorities. And um, now, again, I, I, I want to give a caveat here. Discussion of civil disobedience and exceptions to this rule is outside the scope of this course. Because some of you might say, well, what about civil disobedience and all that when we have to? Yes, that, that's, they are valid in certain situations. And hopefully we'll offer the Sunday School on Christian Ethics again because we, we used to have that to address these kinds of like abortion, euthanasia, and all that. Civil disobedience being just one of them. Now, okay, so there is a church, uh, an authority in the church. What is the source of that authority? Now, Here's what I hope to be not a trick question. Who has all authority? God. Specifically, Jesus. He said, then Jesus, in Matthew, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Remember that? That's part of the, you know, the, that Great Commission passage that's uh, often quoted. Pastors and elders have authority not by might, or by power, but by the authority of God. It's not an authority over your life that gives pastors the license to tell you, don't move to a particular city, or you know, certain things, or, uh, or take this job, or marry this girl. There's no, that is not part of the authority of a church. We, we can give wisdom, but we cannot mandate or ask you to command you to do something. Uh, and this type of Control is an illegitimate authority that, unfortunately, some pastors and churches think they have. So it leads to all kinds of abuse. But, and, but before we consider what the Bible says about who should lead the church, it's worth our time to consider the different structures of church leadership, different forms of church government, because everyone here has come from different church backgrounds. So the church government that you're used to may be different, may be similar to what we have. But just for just as three general categories, we want to differentiate, I want to differentiate this morning between Episcopalian, Presbyterian, and Congregational. Now, Episcopalian, it comes from the word episcopos, which means bishop or overseer. So the episcopal form of church government is hierarchical. Okay, just imagine a a triangle here, and uh, the, the base is the congregation, you know, leading to the top to the leader. And, um, uh, well, first of all, the various leaders or the various levels of leadership are chosen from above, outside the church, not from below. Um, and the system is based on the idea of apostolic succession. That's why the main idea in an Episcopal church structure is the authority resides with that one person at the top called the bishop. 
and uh, he appoints the rectors or the priests of the churches in his diocese, and the congregation does not choose them. I grew up um, in such a setting. I am from the Philippines, and if you know anything about the Philippines, it's predominantly Roman Catholic, and that was the type of church government. And, and uh, uh, it, it's not found only in Episcopalian churches, which is what, you know, they, that's the way it is for uh, church, Episcopalian churches, but also, like I said, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Anglican, and Methodist churches. That would be the Episcopal form of church government. The second one is the Presbyterian. Presbyterian comes from the Greek word presbyteros, which means elder. Now, it's practiced, of course, by, well, obviously, Presbyterians, but also other Reformed denominations. I had a joke once from this guy who was a Presbyterian. He, he always refers to John the Baptist as John the Presbyterian. But, but, but this form of church government is somewhat hierarchical, but it's also representative. Uh, there is a level of authority above that of the local congregation still. Okay? There's still a level of authority outside or above the local congregation. It's sometimes called the presbytery or the session or the synod. And this group works as a kind of uh, court of appeals, and they examine those who are pursuing ordination to be teaching elders, usually the paid ministers at each church. But it's still the local congregation that chooses under the leadership of the elders who will lead them. But the final authority would rest with the elders. It's a group of elders. It's not a single elder model like Episcopalian. I use the term elder loosely there. But lastly, congregational. Um, this form of government is held by most Baptists, and Lutherans and independent Bible churches. So here, the final authority does not rest with the bishop or the elder board, but with the congregation itself. That, that base, that big base of that triangle, that has, if you can imagine. Um, and it's usually exercised by a majority vote. A lot of you may have come from that uh, background where you, know, you want to make a decision for the church. Everybody gets a vote. Now, there is no hierarchical level of authority beyond that of the local congregation. That's it. That is it. There's no outside authority. Uh, you might see cooperation and cooperative associations develop between churches, but it's always voluntary. I mean, each church by itself governs itself under the authority of Christ and His Word. And most, most in this camp have a single elder model called the senior pastor with a pastoral staff or deacon board that supports him. Now, others, like CCC, and this is where we fit in, so I'm showing my cards here. We are congregational. We have a plurality of elders where each has equal authority. One may still be taking the lead in preaching and providing vision and direction for the church. And so, strictly speaking, like I said, we are congregational. We have no governing board outside Christ Covenant Church. We are in a friendly association with the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, just to be clear what that means, uh, well, like all, other uh, 
like all other churches who do so, it's purely voluntary. We joined the Southern Baptist Convention a few years back. It's on a voluntary basis, and we are not in any way reporting or answering to the SBC. That's not how it works. It's like being a member of BJ's or, or some kind of price club, Costco, whatever it is, Sam's. Yeah, you're a member, but they don't tell you what to buy. You're just there to get the privilege of buying it in bulk or, or whatever. It's, it's just like that. That's what being part of the Southern Baptist Convention is like. So uh, um, the SBC is a network of like-minded churches who have found it helpful and strategic to work in certain respects, like missions, for example. I mean, it was tough for us before we became part of the SBC whenever we had a mission endeavor. But because we partnered with them and they, we, jo we joined them in, in their vision for what for sending out missionaries, they help us. And in turn, we support the S, uh, the, uh, what we call the IMB, which is the Missions Board of, of the S, uh, SBC. So a lot, unlike a lot of Southern Baptist churches out there, our leadership is not arranged with the senior pastor at the top with the deacon board that supports him or in some cases oversees him. That's not how it works. And we'll get to that later in terms of, okay, what is Tom? And what does the elder board do, and how do they relate to each other? We'll get to that. Okay, let's, let's have a closer look at uh, leadership roles. Um, we already mentioned the elders, or the overseers, or bishops, and that would, for Christ's covenant, that includes Ray Rutledge, guy who, if you were in the first service, the uh, guy who prayed this morning, Adam Curry, uh, Keith Smith, myself, and Tom. Tom is also one of the elders, and, and uh, uh, we'll get to how that dynamic works uh, in a little bit. Um, but, but what do the elders do? They, have, they exercise oversight on the workings of the church. They focus primarily come in, on the spiritual needs of the body, and typically the elder board is a plurality. So it's a, it's a plurality. It's not just one person like the Episcopal model. Now, we do have the elders. That's mentioned specifically in Scripture. Another leadership position that's specifically mentioned in Scripture are the deacons. Now, the deacons, uh, how different are they from the elders? Well, primarily the deacons focus on the physical needs of the body. And uh, the number of deacons in a church varies as, uh, you know, as the need arises. Like, um, we were we were getting advice some from uh, there's a church up in in Washington D.C. named Capitol Hills Baptist Church and we sometimes we kind of interact with them say ask how how many deacons should we have? There's no number. I mean sometimes when there's a whole lot of people they have a deacon for traffic, they have a deacon for tapes back when there were still tapes, but um, but we we used to have deacons for certain things. But as the need goes, it, it disappears. So currently we have a deacon for finance, a deacon for facilities. Finance, by the way, is uh, 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 Ken Whitley. Deacon for facilities is Scott. Uh, if you've met him, if you, uh, he's the one who organizes those work days here. 
uh, and a deacon of benevolence who is uh, Sean Williams. And what he does is he looks at the needs of individual people within the church and see who can we help, who needs help. So we had that deacon. And much in the same way, that's, when the deacons formed in Acts, it's because there were certain needs that were being unmet, if you, if you recall. That's why the deacons were established. So Sean is very similar. He looked around, who needs what? Let's help this uh, person. Because, yeah, that's, that's him. Uh, and, and then, so we have the elders, we have the deacons, and then we have now, this is not necessarily, or I wouldn't say there's a biblical mandate for this, but there we have staff positions. Now, this, what are the staff positions? Uh, what are they? Well, first of all, the senior pastor is a staff position. Now, here's where there's a difference. We kind of go away from our congregational model a bit here. Because when we do hires for staff, it does not go down to a vote to the congregation. The elders make the decision, interview a person, etc. Because it's, it's kind of hard to get a vote from everybody if you don't know the person. And, and so that's, that, that's where we depart a bit in terms of you know, uh, making decisions. So the senior pastor is actually uh, uh, a little different in the sense that the senior pastor has to be approved by 75% of the congregation. That's how Tom ended up here. And that 75% is not biblical necessarily. We just thought that's, well, that's you know, a high number. It's a high number, actually. Well, it's, it's a high number. Some people say, okay, majority plus one. Or, or no, I'm sorry, half plus one, majority. But no, we, we want, we, we trust God that, you know, the people will uh, make a God glorifying decision in those matters. Now, the senior pastor, like I said, is also an elder, but. Uh, in First Timothy, it says he is one who rules well and labors at teaching. So that's that's what Tom does week in week out. is It's his job uh, and his calling to preach to the body. So he oversees now. Tom oversees the rest of the paid staff, which we will get to in a bit, and bears the primary role, like I said, of teaching and preaching. And with that, he naturally accrues to himself. A level of authority and influence with that role. But strictly speaking, Tom has no higher authority than the rest of the elders. We don't have a CEO pastor model. When it comes to decisions on the elder board, Tom has one vote, just like the others do. He has no veto power. And there are there have been things Tom would like to advance in the church, but the other elders were not behind it. So it didn't go forward. So we are an elder-led church, but that leadership is carried out in concert with the congregation. And the, uh, let me give some, some uh, distinctives. The congregation votes on all elder and deacon nominees. The congregation votes on who will serve as a senior pastor. By the way, all of these things are in the bylaws, and I know that's like chloroform in print. So I'm just going to give you the... The highlights of the bylaws. If you read the bylaws, I salute you. Um, no, but I encourage. That's not. Uh, you know, I encourage you to do so. Okay. Um, the congregation votes on any expense of the church over 
$20,000. The elder board cannot just say, oh, let's spend this much on this thing. No, it has to be approved by, by the congregation. Used to be 10000 but that was like 15 years ago. We realized this doesn't get anything these days. So we kind of raised it last, I think it was just last year. Um, the elders regularly bring before the congregations things that are under discussion on the elder board. Like, for example, we're going to have our retreat today and tomorrow, and if we come to any decisions that the congregation should know, we, we, get your feed, we let you all know and get the feedback. So we are elder-led, but ultimately congregationally ruled. And we've followed this model for tw the past 20 years, and we just praise God. He's been gracious to our church. It's not the most important thing about us, but it has served us well as we carry our mission. It has helped protect the church from division. That, that um, I, I tell you, it's, when you hear stories from other churches, it, is, it, it can make me sad. Um, and it's helped in the church spiritual maturity as well. Okay, so we have the senior pastor. We're still talking about staff, okay? We have the senior pastor, and then we have other ministry positions we have the assistant pastor, and he's, uh, his role is uh, uh, focuses on missions and outreach, oversight of children's, adult education, communications, calendar, coordination of the internship program. And our assistant pastor is Nick Lingle. We have the discipleship pastor. That's Daniel Harmon. He excuse me, oversees the small group ministry. He provides pastoral care and gives direction to the discipleship ministries of the church. Then we have the youth pastor, John Goforth. We have the worship leader. You see him week after week, Jeremy. And um, then, most recently, we established the role of, or had a staff position, pastor of counseling. Because it, it's through the years, as the congregation grew, more and more, there was more and more of a need for for counseling, and it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing for the elders to delve into, and so God was gracious. He had, uh, had us meet Brian. He's, he's been fantastic, and uh, it's, it's helped a lot of people who uh, need spiritual counsel. Um, and he, he does also develop lay counselors in the church. He's our resource. Because, so that it's not just him, but he can train others to do counseling, um, equip, even equip all of us to disciple one another. Because all of us ultimately are to be discipling and counseling one another. And, and then we have the director of women's and children's, uh, well, two different roles. Director of women's ministries, that's uh, uh, Susie Naylor, and director of children's ministries, which is uh, Marcy Ballard. Now, all of these positions, all of these staff positions, they answer directly to the, uh, to the senior pastor. They report to him, but they are still under our oversight. In other words, whenever the elder board meets, we kind of look, okay, what's happening with the staff and all that. So, uh, like I mentioned, they focus on specific ministry areas. That's why we have several. Okay, any questions so far? Yes, Matthew. Between um, a pastor on staff and mm -hmm. an elder, well, the pastor, the past, uh, a pastor on staff has no voting power. Okay. 
that's because we want to maintain a balance between, because the elders are, are lay elders, we're not paid. So we want to, I mean, if you have everybody voting here, including the staff, and we only have one non-paid elder, they could vote themselves a race. I mean, that's, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but we wanted to guard against that where, uh, you know, we're all human. And I'm not saying these guys are great, but that's one reason why we don't consider the staff members to be elders so that there's a, there's a check and balance there in terms of the vote. We, we listen to their input. It's not like they're ignored, but, you know, when it comes to the decision, it's just up to the board. So that's one difference, and that's actually probably the main difference because we all do very similar things. So, so pastors would, on staff, would do more teaching and ministerial roles as, as where the elders are sort of making votes. No, no, uh, no. Um, I, I don't want to leave. I'm sorry if I'm giving the impression that we're a uh, kind of a, like a directorial board and the elders, but no, we actually do a lot of the same things as the staff. It's just that some of them are harder for us to do. Like, for example, oversight of the care groups, um, looking after the, the, the education. Uh, that, they're important, don't get me wrong. But, you know, when we talk about other matters other, uh, that need our attention, you know, uh, how do they say this? They're almost... Everything is spiritual, okay? I don't want That's why my, I was reluctant in saying anything because my, I might sound like, ah, yeah, we're focusing on spiritual things and these people focus on non-spiritual things. They're all the same, okay? They're all spiritual, ultimately. Um, but yeah, there, there's a, uh, like teaching and all that. I mean, the elders teach. Um, well, did, did I answer your question? The, the, the main distinction being, you know, or the, not the main, but, one distinction that is very uh, important is that they have no vote in the direction of the church. And, and do the pastors, do they all um, just meet the same qualifications of an elder? Yes, yes. The thing about the qualifications of an elder, uh, and we'll get to those later, they're describing yeah. a Christian. They are describing a Christian. It's not like these elders should have these qualifications. The rest of you can just close. It's, it's for all. But, um, th but there are additional things that, that the elders are, are asked. Like, you aspire to serve. You can teach. But it doesn't mean that those qualifications are solely for elders. They're for everyone. If you go through them, it's like, you can't look at this and say, I'm free of this one because I'm not an elder. Uh, no, not, not so. so. So, in that case, the answer to your question is yes, of course, we are going to be strict with those qualifications as well. Okay? Okay, so who's qualified? Well, I, I, you made mention, you passing. Uh, uh, anybody have their Bible open to First Timothy, please? And anybody who, the first to get there, I have no gold star to give out, but somebody first read 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, please. 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. It says, This is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, 
uh, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, not a striker, not greedy of, um, this is a King James. That's fine, that's fine. Of filthy lucre, uh, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that rules his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity, for if a man um, does not know how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Mm -hmm. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Mm. That's King James. Well, I kind of translated it. Oh, you kind of, that's why I, I was thinking, and uh, I, I thought it would see, read something like, he may not falleth into this grace, yeah. and, or, no, or uh, you I, know. I edited those as a... <laughs> <laughs> he must manage his household well. I was expecting those. It just doesn't sound like King James. <laughs> so, okay. Now, <laughs> the first verse, it says, he who desires uh, to be an elder desires a noble task. Now, sometimes you might think, well, how is it noble? I mean, it's almost like, well, just keep in mind that back then, and in, in some ways it's still true now, back then to be an elder, when the Church of Christ was being persecuted, this, it didn't carry glamour or anything. You were going to be the first target if, they, they, if the authorities decide to go after a church. So it's not, it's not a glitz and glamour that we might think of that we might be used to in the Western world. In some places in the world, it's a noble and dangerous task. So anyway, Titus 1 restates the same qualifications. Now, it's worth noting that most of the qualifications concern the character of the elder, not his skills, not his education, not his degrees. The emphasis is on the heart of the man and the kind of godly behavior that should flow from it. And the one skill, the one skill that is mentioned is that elders be able to teach. Now, I don't think this means that every elder should be able to stand up and preach to large groups of people. Some elders are more gifted in public speaking and teaching than others, but all of them should be able to teach and instruct others in the Word of God. All of them, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, they should, or, or in, a, in the context of a large group, all of them should be doing that. Okay, so that's the qualification for an elder. How about, how about the senior pastor? Well, same as elders. He's one of the elders. Although CCC will have additional, uh, the bylaws will have additional requirements. Like, I think we want at least uh, a seminary degree. Um, so there's, there's other things. Now, the ministry staff qualifications, you can also find them in the bylaws. They're, they're the same as deacons, very similar to deacons. Um, and they should have specific gifting and calling in a particular area of ministry, like counseling or discipleship. So, okay, so those are the qualifications. Now, how do we select leaders? And I mentioned this a little bit a while ago already. There are actually very few clear instructions from Scripture on how we should select leaders. But the biblical pattern is that new elders are selected by existing leadership. For example, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders. They were themselves elders. Paul charged Timothy and Titus who were to appoint elders. 
Now, um, here in our present day context, the body recognizes and approves leadership and prospective elders should be known by the body. His life should be transparent. Um, and uh, same thing with the deacons. Same thing with the deacons. And in, in Christ's covenant, with regard to uh, how one gets into one of those offices, candidate elders and deacons are nominated by the elders with a review period of 30 days and then approved by congregational vote, which is, again, 75%. Were you all here when Keith and Ray were installed as elders one Sunday? Okay, they, they, they took a year off because the term of an elder is six years. You have a year off, then you can come back if you still desire to serve. Uh, and then ministry staff are appointed by the elders. Okay, now we've talked about leadership. Let's talk about the relationship between the leadership and the body. Um, first of all, the relationship between leaders and the body should be characterized by humility. What do we mean by that? Well, let, let me read 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 5. Again, it's 1 Peter, Peter 5, verses 1 to 5. So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those, over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me read that last verse again, because that is so key. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. That's how it, we should relate with each other, but even more so between, this is in the context of leadership and the body. There should be humility on both ends. Now, um, the elder's responsibility from, from uh, here and, and the, other, the other passages in Scripture include shepherding, which is leading, protecting against false teaching. That's a big deal. Protecting against false teaching, or exercise oversight over the church. We pray for the sick. Um, it, it does say in Scripture, if you're sick, call on the elders. It's an act of faith. It's not a, it's, it, you know, you're acknowledging your need for God. It's not a hocus-pocus thing where the elders come and pray and you'll be fine. That's not what it is. Um, and, uh, and the elders, as it says here, they watch over your souls. That means instructing, admonishing. Disciplining, if necessary. And uh, I don't know, have you had the section on, uh, session on church discipline yet? Okay. Okay. So those are the elders' responsibilities to the body. Now, what about the body's responsibilities to the elders? Well, if you look at this, this passage, or the passage that I just read, it says, uh, be subject. In other translations, it says, Obey your leaders and, and, and to submit. Now, to obey means to be persuaded. Be persuaded. And to submit means to yield. Again, that's another loaded. It shouldn't be. 
But it has become a loaded word in our society that submission has become a negative thing. But God doesn't think so. Jesus himself, sub, you know, submitted himself to the Father. So it says, obey your leaders. Or This is Hebrews 13, 17, which I read a while ago. Obey your leaders, submit to them, um, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It also says in 1 Thessalonians 5 uh, to respect and esteem uh, the elders. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And this is important. Pray for the elders. We are fallible men. We know that. We have feet of clay. We, we can make wrong decisions. We will disappoint. And so we need prayers. It's not like we have this, we have this exclusivity of a fountain of wisdom. Well, no, we don't have exclusivity. It comes from God, but we need prayers. So that's, those are, you know, to obey, to respect, to pray for the elders. Okay, that's all theory, right? Does it always work out that way? Well, let's see how it's lived out, okay? Ideally, this is how it should work. Elders prayerfully seek God's will for his flock before attempting to move forward. Like what we're going to do in our retreat this afternoon and, and tomorrow. And then, elders communicate the proposed direction to the body. The body then receives the direction with an inclination to be persuaded. With an inclination to be persuaded. I'm not saying that everybody should just be yes men or yes women, but you, you come with a, a, a heart that say, okay, I trust that these guys are considered what's best for this body. And as opposed to, mm, what are they hiding in there? With, so it's with an inclination to be persuaded. And with the assumption that the elders are seeking to honor God and are acting in the best interest of the body. So no cloud of suspicion, ideally. And, and, but it's also up to the body to examine the proposals of the elders through the lens of Scripture. Are we violating Scripture? And then, next step, if there are concerns, the body should voice concerns. In, 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 your, in the membership covenant that I don't know if you have copies there yet. You probably do. One of the, it says there uh, in the covenant, I will love glory by seeking honest and open communication with the leadership when I have concerns. In other words, if there's a concern, tell the leadership. The, uh, don't keep it at this level. Now, if you have, in some case, that's not a blanket thing. Like if you have, if you have disharmony with a fellow brother or sister, that you can resolve. You don't have to take everything up to the elder board. But, but concerns that could affect the entire church, um, or even if it's just your small circle, you bring it up to the elder board. So, that's ideally. In reality, and I already mentioned this, elders are fallible men. Some mem And here's another thing, in reality, some members of the body are not always inclined to be persuaded. In many 
areas there is room for honest disagreement between godly men and women. We, we can have disagreements. And it's likely that on many issues there will not be complete agreement. So, what do we do? How do we proceed in the event of a disagreement? Well, the elders must evaluate the pushback from their congregation on a decision, you know, that they have made. Let's, let's look at this feedback. Maybe we're missing something. First of all, the feedback itself. Is it biblical? Is it valid? If it is, the elders must be prepared to reevaluate their position. If not, then more persuasion might be required. So in reality, that's how it should, we should proceed. And if elders decide to proceed, those who are not persuaded are called to submit, recognizing that the elders are responsible for their decisions to God and the outcome of their decision. Ultimately, that's what, who they answer to. So if you just remember that, uh, you know, <laughs> they're going to have to answer for that if they made the wrong decision. So it's, it's, the, it's, a, it's a weighty thing. And, uh, but, uh, you know, we, we, we try to model that here at Christ Covenant because I gave you the ideal situation. I give you the, the passage behind it. But we're going to do it imperfectly, and we're, we're just going to have to give grace to each other in, in this area. So, um, any questions? I, I think I covered everything in the outline. I think I have. Are there any questions? Yes? Um, when you're looking at hiring or putting a candidate forth for um, eldership or for pastorship, how do you... How do you measure like the more uh, subjective qualities like given to hospitality or past, a pastor's heart, or shepherd's heart? Yeah, normally uh, what has happened in the past is that those who are asked to be or invited to be part of the board are doing elder stuff already before they're even elders. You will see those things. I mean, we, we, we pray that we will see those things in a, 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 a number of men. So it's, it's, it's watching their lives through the course of years, how they treat their wives in public and in private, you know, their, their, their heart for the body, their love for the body. And those things are not easily measured by snapshots, but rather through a long period of time. Um, that, now, does that mean that one has to have a tenure? In other words, you should have had at least five years. Well, there, we really have no number to it, but we want at least a, a period of time where we can, based on what we hear from the congregation and what we observe, yeah, this, this person exhibits these qualities. They're, of course, they're not going to be perfect. They are not going to be perfect. But are they trying to live out the, the character that they're called to live out, uh, to be an elder? So does that answer your question? Yeah, it's like it's a uh, yeah, and you know when 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 that happens, we ask, 
would you desire to serve as an elder? Because if the desire is not there, no. There has to be that desire. There has to be that desire to, to serve the body in that capacity. Any other questions? What is your, um, not a fallback position, but if there is a situation or an issue that this church cannot resolve itself, then who do you reach out to then for guidance or reflection on if, if you're a congregationalist in that sense, you're not, do you have sister churches? Um, yeah, we, there's a, the, the staff is part of a network. They pastors check on each other. They get advice from each other. So, like for example, a unique situation, a unique sin situation that we don't know how to handle. Never encountered it before, but, you know, we ask around, have you encountered this before? So it's, it's not that we have a set network, but, but they do keep in touch with the resources like the people up in Minneapolis uh, with John Piper and, and Capitol Hills Baptist Church. So there is a network of pastors out there that, that help each you're other. Not like, well, not isolated, but you're not completely independent where, like, no, we're not going to take our... Oh, no, no, no. We're only independent in the sense that nobody rules above us. But we are dependent on other, on our brothers and sisters outside these walls. We are so dependent on them. So, because we don't have everything. We don't, you know, we don't uh, have exclusivity of wisdom for some of these issues. Like even the matter of just moving to another church, another building, or expanding a building, or, or having a deacon of this and a deacon of that. Sometimes we, we're... we're we, we're in a deadlock. We couldn't figure out what to do. We, we ask uh, the, for the wisdom of uh, people outside our, our body that we respect. Yeah, Matthew. Sorry. Maybe you can... I'm still a little bit confused on the pastors and elders. You can mm -hmm. maybe explain to me later if it takes more time. But um, So, so what, what are the things that elders do that the staff pastors cannot do? So, so I mean, for example, I called Nick an elder one time, and mm -hmm. then they go, oh, he's not an elder. He's, he's just a pastor. And mm -hmm. I, so I just don't still understand necessarily our, uh, the difference between the staff pastors and the elders. Well, uh, for one thing, the staff pastors, um, like I said, they, they, have, they have input. In fact, when we have our elder meetings, they are there. They are not, you know, we meet as an elder board and, and the, we don't interact with the staff. They are there every time. So they give input. Some of them had, have better windows to what's happening in the body than we do, the elders anyway, because we work full-time jobs. But they're here all the time to, to meet with the body outside work hours and all that. And, and we need that. We need those eyes and ears. So functionally... Uh, like I said, they have no vote, but we are, uh, they, they are paid. <laughs> um, but in, in, the, in terms of, uh, the, w before we had some of these staff members, we tried it this way. Hey, 
you take care of the care groups, assign it to an elder. You take care of this. You take care of the education. It was just, it was, it was a lot. I mean, especially as the church grew. We got away with it when we were just a church of 50. I mean, I was still here when, I was already here when we were a church of 50. We got away with just one. So, uh, but as the church grew, we, we, we have, there has to be some, several points of contact with the body. And, and the full-time staff, we, people come here during weekdays, week, uh, morning hours. They have no access. They have access to us, but not face-to-face. I mean, the elders who work jobs. So, would, would you call the elders pastor? So like it, functionally, see that uh, functionally we do pastoral work okay. uh, because we we're we're shepherds too, just like the staff are. In in a sense, we're all doing shepherding work, and ev- essentially that's what a pastor is biblically. Anyway, we kind of the meaning kind of morphed in our context as to what a pastor is, but he's just a somebody who, who shepherds the flock. So functionally, the elders and the staff are all pastors, even though by title, we make a distinction between them by saying, oh, these are elders and these are staff, but all of them are actually shepherds. Yeah, or or these, are shep- these are elders and these are pastors, let me put it that way. Yeah. All the elders are pastors, but not necessarily all the pastors are elders. Yes, Got yes. Pastors, not from a title sense, like it, it, pastor is a job, uh, like, yeah, it's just a shepherd, you know, just a shepherd. Ultimately, all of us are to be caring for one another. We're just called to, look, to have a higher level view and see what's happening. But we are to be pastoring and serving each other as well, even on an individual basis, so. And that's where it begins, part of it, you know, when, when we're looking for elder candidates, is there somebody who's exhibiting that kind of pastoral heart that wants to see somebody grow in their love for God. So that's, that's one thing we watch out for. Any other questions? Matthew, you're smiling like you have one more, but you're reluctant because I might give you, uh, make you sit in the corner. No, 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 no. if you have one. You're done? Okay. Well done. <laughs> okay. Um, this is not a um, ask now or forever be silent deal. If you have further questions, clarifications, ask the other elders. No, ask me and the other elders. <laughs> but um, anyway, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to knowing each of you well. So, okay, we'll, we'll pray, we'll close, and then we'll... We'll go to worship.